It is good when brethren dwell together in unity. Psalm 133 and the song that we just sang right now. As you can tell, our focus in our study this morning is on the congregation, the church, you and I, the people of God, coming together in a relationship as God has designed us to do in the way that God commands us to do it. We've been through this study on, we're calling preparing for the journey. Uh, And it's preparing for the journey that wherever God takes us in 2021, but throughout the rest of our lives. And there is a phrase that has always invoked to me a sense of excitement and anticipation, and it is road trip. Are any of you road trip people? Time to go somewhere. We want to pack up and we want to go. It's always something exciting. I remember through my youth and college days and and throughout my life, really, we were headed to Six Flags or Disney or Grandma's house or going hunting together or going fishing together. Road trip to a vacation, spending time away. Some of us have enjoyed and enjoy that. Maybe even just celebrating a special occasion. You get with someone and you go somewhere special or even, for me, frankly, just an outing to Krispy Kreme. So if any of you guys want a Krispy Kreme road trip, let me know. I'd be glad to join you on that particular journey. But even working trips, uh, there are times when we would go for conferences or times when we would go to conduct a mission uh, or do some sort of work off-site. And I know that some people just hate to travel. I know that some people really don't like to get out and around, but I have always loved to travel to go to a destination. But I tell you this, I have found that the single most important ingredient to a great trip is traveling with good people. Would you agree with that? I have been on trips where there was conflict and bickering. As a matter of fact, I remember as a child contributing to the bickering significantly. Uh, In my family, it was not uncommon to hear, if you kids don't stop this, I'm pulling this car over right now. Have you guys ever heard that or said that? Probably not. I'm sure that was just unique to my family. But we also had those times when it was joyous, when there was grace displayed, when we got along, when we were, even when we had some, some issues that we didn't particularly like about each other, we focused on what was good, we had shared concerns, we displayed grace, and we had great trips. And so to stay with our theme, we're preparing for whatever journey God leads us to throughout the rest of our lives. But in this congregation, particularly now at this time, we're focusing upon the next year, two years. And we want to focus this morning on how to be good traveling companions, if you will. How that we walk or travel together in unity, as we just sang. Strengthening and being strengthened. Being encouraged and encouraging others. Genuinely caring for one another as God's church. (coughs) Excuse me. Now... The church is uniquely designed by God, created by God, instituted by God. And there's no other organization, organism, it's an organism rather than an organization, but it's organized. There's no other organization that can compare to the people of God gathered together in this containing housing, being a temple of the Spirit of God, under the direction and leadership of God, submitting to God's Word, empowered by God to love one another, to care for one another. And yet, not everybody's experience in church has been positive. I have a friend who identifies himself as a recovering Southern Baptist. Uh, because of experience that this person went through with a lot of conflict, a lot of pettiness, a lot of strife, they just gave up, said, no, I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving this. And matter of fact, that person is not, not going to any church at this point in time. And I know that churches are not perfect. I know that churches have conflicts. I know that churches stumble and that there are fighting churches. And we know the stress of conflict. And for a while, even here in the South, fighting churches were kind of a joke. Uh, They were kind of how you identified church. And before we came serious and biblical about planting churches to reach people with the gospel, intentionally identifying evangelists, as we'll see later in Ephesians chapter 4, and others who would go to plant churches... Our primary model of church planting was a church would have a fight. A group of people would say, yeah, we're not staying here. And they would leave, go down the street and start their own church. And typically they'd give it the name like unity or harmony. You guys ever see that? Now, don't don't assume that of every church that's named unity or harmony. We we had a, a group of churches in the Midlands. I won't identify it any closer than that. And 
the name of their church was New Liberty Baptist Church. And right down the road was Liberty Baptist Church. And then on the other side of New Liberty Baptist Church was Liberty Number 2. And all of that started as one church back in the day. And then something happened and they got New Liberty. And then something happened in that church and there was Liberty Number 2. And so, again, we are not saying that churches do not engage in conflicts. We know that we contend with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We know we contend with immaturity. We know that just because you're a member of a church, and get this, just because your name is on a church roll does not mean that you're part of the body of Christ, that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's why membership matters. That's why it's important that we make sure that we are redeemed. Again, you see again and again and again throughout the New Testament, even when writing to the churches, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, James, and others, John particularly, keeps coming back and saying, make sure, examine yourself, make sure that your part, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you're part of the family of God, controlled by the Spirit of God, walking in obedience to Him. Because of immaturity and differing visions, strong personalities in conflict, churches do have problems. But this morning, we're going to kind of take a step back from those problems and look at not the failures, but God's design for the church. The church as it should be. The church functioning. The church as it can be. The church as it often is, even though we don't often recognize it sufficiently. The inherent joys and strengths of being part of the fellowship of the redeemed are what we're going to focus on this morning. With all of our struggles and all of our stumbles, the church of God is still unique. It is still God's plan for bringing glory to Himself. It is still God's plan for reaching a lost world with the gospel of Christ. It is God's plan to work in and through His church to strengthen and build up believers, to make a difference in the world. We are still the bride of Christ. We are still the body of Christ. We are still the building of Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. The temple of the Holy Spirit corporately as well as individually. And it is an amazing and wonderful thing to be a part of God's church. And now I'm waiting on a resounding amen. Amen. It is an amazing and wonderful thing to be a part of God's church. Amen? Amen. Amen, it is. David knew the joy of unity. Scott already referenced this this morning in Psalm 133, uh, verse 1. By the way, Psalm 133 only has three verses, so if you have to memorize a whole chapter of the Bible, that's a good one to start with. But it also uses some metaphors that we're not familiar with. It reads, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. He goes on to describe what it's like. It's like oil, precious oil, O-I-L, however you pronounce it. Oil, I never know if that's one syllable or two. All right, I'm just going to admit my struggles here. Is it oil or oil? Great, I got both answers. You guys aren't helping. O-I-L, we can spell it just as easy, okay? But he says, it is like the precious oil, I'm trying, on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, we don't do that. But they did. And this signifies the not only the separation of Aaron as the high priest, this signifies the refreshing oil that was sweet savor. Remember, oil that was not to be duplicated outside of specific instructions from God that was poured on his head and, and, and ran down on his collar. It is like the dew of Hermon, and Hermon is a mountain. It is like the dew falling on the mountains in the mornings, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. The blessing of life is found where? When brothers dwell together in unity. Now, in your application questions, I've asked you in the very first part of those for you to come up with a better metaphor. I say better. You can't improve upon Scripture. But a more contemporary metaphor or uh, illustration. How would you describe the precious unity of God's people coming together in harmony? Which is what we're called to do in the New Testament. We're called to dwell together and to fellowship with one another. There's no organization. We're designed for, for groups. You guys know that, right? We're designed for relationships. That's why there are clubs and groups and organizations that are everywhere. And people are engaged and involved in them. But the church is unique 
in what God has created in His body. The person who doesn't have Christ in the church, who is trying to fill their lives with just activity or other clubs or other groups, cannot find on earth anything close to what God's church provides, to what God provides through His church. Luke describes this when he describes the first church, the establishing of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And that's where we're taking our text. We're not going to stay there, but we're going to start there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. He uses the word koinonia. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Greek word koinonia? All right, if, if you are a church person in the 70s, 80s, 90s, this was a really big deal. Koinonia, fellowship, it became in vogue not only in the, in the church, but out in other uses. Uh, it, it doesn't mean fellowship in the sense that we normally mean fellowship. Raised a good Southern Baptist. Uh, when we talk about fellowship, we typically mean fried chicken, green beans, a macaroni and cheese. Uh, all of those meals where we would people would cook, and, and by the way, that's biblical. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm not I'm not discounting that. Okay, do not devalue the benefit to you and to others by investing your time and your resources in preparing something to eat and then sharing it with others. That's an important thing, and and, and we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes, hopefully. But what we're talking about when he's talking about fellowship here is partnership. It is the sharing of lives together. Koinonia comes from the root, root word kind of koine. Uh, the Bible was written in koine Greek. That was the common Greek, the language that, of trade, the, the Greek that was commonly spoken between people who, of different cultures and different languages. And so it means to have in common. Koinonos, another form of that word, is the relationship that Peter, James, and John had. They were partners in the fishing business. They were business partners. They were koinonos. Koinonos. They were partners in the business. And so it means, it means more than simply, you know, uh, uh, hello and, and, and acquaintance. It means sharing life together. Uh, Strong's gives a, a, a definition that says it means to come into communion or fellowship with one. To become a sharer, sharer, one who shares. To be made a partner. Or to enter into fellowship, to join oneself to an associate, to make one's self a sharer or partner. So this is unique in the extent that this happens in the life of the church. It's the good side. It's the exciting part of what it means to be part of a family of faith. And so let's look at what happened. The, Jesus had ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 1. He had given his disciples, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and he gave them very specific instructions. Uh, they asked about the end of the age. He said, that's not for you. Be where you are. This is the task you've got. He ascended. We see them gathering together. They replace the missing Judas. They're in an upper room. 120 of them gathered together, praying. And we'll talk more about that in a moment too. But man... What a strength comes when the people of God gather together in the same place, hearts united, voicing prayers to Almighty God. Oh, we see it repeated throughout the Old Testament. We see it in power in the New Testament where the very room is shaken when God's people pray. And so they're praying together and they're, I'll tell you, they're a close-knit community. They've been persecuted, they've drawn together, and then all of a sudden Pentecost comes and they preach, and Peter brings the primary message, and people are interpreting it. If everyone hears it in their language, the Holy Spirit interprets it. People hear it in their language. And 3,000 get saved. And all of a sudden, this 120 grew to 3,000 in Jerusalem. And more were being added daily. And they connected in specific ways. And here we have a definition of this congregation and their fellowship that is unique to the church. Acts chapter 2, and we'll read a few verses starting in verse 42. And they, this is the believers who now are now making up this church, they devoted themselves. This was not casual. This wasn't, oh, I think I'll go to church today. I don't feel like going to church. Not that. This was devoted, a level of commitment that is driven by passion. They devoted themselves, and there are four things in this, this verse that focuses on those things that united them. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship, look at the article there, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I believe the breaking of bread there is sharing meals. 
It, that is a phrase used to the Lord's Supper, but not only for the Lord's Supper. Every meal was a breaking of bread. And prayers, which we've talked about, we'll talk more about. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the, through the apostles. Which, by the way, was evidence that what the apostles were teaching was the Word of God. This spoke to their credibility as messengers of God. Because they didn't have the book of Romans yet. They didn't have the book of uh, the Gospels written down yet. They didn't have the New Testament codified, uh, preserved, inspired, and, and held. Their speaking was channeling, was speaking forth the Word of God, a channel through which the Word of God was spoken. Verse 44, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. There's your fellowship. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That's a good thing, isn't it? Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at things that God intends the church to be and the consequence that it has on our lives. Father, I pray that as we continue to look at the example of these Christians in this place in Jerusalem, at the establishment in the founding of the church, that you'll remind us, this is the church. We are the church. These are us. These are, we are that which is being described here. The people of God yielded to God under the authority of God, serving God in the power of God and ministering to and caring for the people of God. Help us to, to see the application. There are some of us here who are going to see the benefits and we are going to be comforted by the benefits of being part of a family of faith. There are some of us here who, are, who need reproof and correction and instruction. And I pray that you will both heal and wound. I pray, Father, that you will both confront and comfort and that you will shape us as we prepare for this journey, for this week, much less this year, much less the next five years that you will shape us into the shape and the form and the body. Build us up in the way that you would have us to be. We love you. We thank you. We trust you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, the first thing that we see, to be healthy traveling companions. The church is to have a spirit of unity, which translates into a source of strength. These guys were strengthened by being together. And how were they strengthened? By these four things that we saw in, in verse 42. By the apostles' teaching, uh, by uh, the fellowship, by the breaking of bread, and by prayers. And so we're going to go through those just really quick. But here's what I want you to understand. We live in tumultuous times. But we don't live in the most tumultuous times that have ever been. We don't live in the most tumultuous times that this country has ever been in. We certainly don't live in the most tumultuous time that our city and our community has ever been in. But that does not mean that it's not a serious time for people. But here's what I know. I know that I can face my news feed tomorrow morning in strength because of God's Word and God's church. I know that I can face bad news about health. I know that I can face stresses and trouble at work. I know that I can face circumstances that cause other people to completely lose it and me not. I can stay strong. You can stay strong as a result of being submitted to the Word of God, which reveals the person of God, and by being partnered with the people of God. Let me tell you, I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people in this church. I talk to people in other congregations. And I talk to people who have no church home at all. And they are, in many cases, simply just casting about looking for places to find hope and places to find comfort. And all of their life is concerned. They don't sleep at night. They don't eat well. don't keep their food down. They struggle with the stresses that they're in. And it's because they're not resting in the Word of God. And they're not connected to the people of God. Let me tell you, the spirit of unity lends strength as we unite ourselves in the teaching and the learning of God's Word and the application of it. It's important. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see the Apostle Paul telling Timothy and the church at Ephesus some things that were important for them to note. When he's talking about the church specifically in chapter 4, starting in verse 11, he says, And he, Jesus Christ, gave the apostles and prophets 
Those are foundational. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. The apostles who were speaking the Word of God in this context, the prophets who had proclaimed the Word of God, foundational. He gave apostles and prophets, and He gave evangelists. We would probably say missionaries or those who are specifically called to different types of evangelism, even church planters, and shepherd teachers, pastors and teachers. The word is poimain. It means shepherd. It's the same whether it's shepherd or pastor, one who gives care to the flock of God, one who instructs the flock of God. So he gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and now we come to the bodybuilding, the strengthening, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, we could say, to mature adulthood. No longer just tossed to and fro. We're not kids. How mature? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, what? Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see the theme of this passage? Teaching, instructing, caring for one another. To what end? To build up. And to the full maturity of Christ. To disciple, to grow, to no longer be kids, no longer to be weak, but to mature. You are strengthened as part of yielding to the truth of God as part of the body of Christ. Of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way. Truth spoken clearly, <laughs> clearly, 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 and truthfully in love. Now he says, not only were they devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to the fellowship. And now we think of fellowship as something that we do. But this is a noun, the fellowship. He's talking of the fellowship that they had, the, the group that they were a part of, the congregation that they were part of, the church together. And we are a church. If you're here and you're a member of Pendleton Street Baptist Church, if you're here and you're connected to this body, we are a part of one another. We have an identity. We, we, we have a... Matter of fact, we, we want to have even more of an identity that is recognized by the community that doesn't know us. But we are to identify ourselves as part of the body of God. Our fellowship is one another. The expression of connectedness that we have as believers. And we might be unique. As a matter of fact, we are unique. We are distinct in many ways and in every way, individually. But we come together and we make something that is greater than any one of us could be. The expression of connectedness we have as believers is also found in Ephesians 4. If you just go back up to verse 4. As a matter of fact, if you go back up to the beginning of the chapter, and I won't start there, we'll, we'll just read verse 4 and 5, but if you go back up to the beginning of the chapter, he talks about that you are to forbear one another, that you're to put up with one another. You guys ever travel with somebody you didn't like? You're not going to tell me, right? <laughs> Stop pointing at each other. No, I'm kidding. Right. You guys ever travel with somebody you didn't like? Was it fun? Um, a little fourth. My dad used to travel and preach. And often he would travel to conferences. And we had a tape ministry for a while where he would record... The sermons. And then we would put them on cassette and we would duplicate them and we would sell them or make them available to people who were part of that conference or people who wanted those recordings. The challenge was that was he was also a pastor full time at a church and frequently we would go to a conference on Friday or Saturday all day and then we would do the recording and we would do all of that and then we would drive back home. And we had, back in the day, a Chevy station wagon. And I mean, man, it was a great wagon. It had a 454 in it. It would fly. Big, heavy vehicle, but it would fly. And it moved like a tank. 
And I remember many times going from Myrtle, Mississippi to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and you'd go down Highway 55, which is a concrete highway. Any of you guys ever driven on a concrete highway? The sun has set in the west. It's been a busy, busy, busy weekend. Got to be up and ready in the morning. My twin brother, Mark, and I, 15, 16 years old, got our driver's license. Ninth grade, 10th grade. We're driving. Actually, Dad drives to start with. And Dad would always drive until he started to fall asleep behind the wheel. Have you guys ever had an experience like that? He would be driving and all of a sudden the car would slow down. And we'd kind of drift to the right. Which was great. It's better than speeding up and going to the left. I want to tell you, it's a good option. Right? And then one of us would <coughs> call for, tap him on the shoulder, say, Dad, and we'd swerve a little bit and get back on the road. He's not going to appreciate me telling <laughs> Telling this. Dad, if you're watching, I'm sorry. All right. And so we did that back and forth for a while. And finally, you know, we just kind of, the teenagers put our foot down and said, Dad, let us drive. And so Dad gets in the back seat. Mark and I get in the front seat. And Mark is driving. I'm wide awake. All right. I'm wide awake for a variety of different reasons. But there's some things that really just, you, you guys know people that smack their mouths when they eat? Does that bother you? Okay. Uh, you guys know people that, that, that snore and make a lot of noises when they sleep? Does that bother you? Some people it does, some people it doesn't. All right, it's just one of those things. But Mark just couldn't stand listening to Dad snore in the back seat. And so we're driving down the road. Dad's asleep. And Mark's driving. And he's like, and I don't know if you've ever had that experience. But then he figured out what to do. He'd just swerve a little bit. <laughs> and Dad would sit up. Son, you alright? You ready? And he'd wake up. And we had about 15 more miles of peace and quiet. And then Dad would start to snore again. And he'd swerve a little bit. And so he managed to adapt to a very uncomfortable... I was making a point with that. Let me get back to the point, okay? <laughs> Not every traveling companion does everything that you want them to do all the time. Some traveling companions, either through their own fault or through no fault of their own, can be hard to get along with. When we live in relationship, at life of church together, there are going to be people who you say, that's us, that that." person shares my heart there's heart of my heart we get along we like the same things we do the same things we have the same interests we at least come from the same basis and and that's a brother that i can dwell with in unity and then along will come by somebody else and you and you're going to think i have a hard time even being in the room with that person because there's just something there that does goes against my personality, goes against my inclination, or they do something, or they speak in such a way, or they have a habit, or something. But there's something there that, that really just causes me difficulty. So how does the church dwell in unity when we are unique individuals from different backgrounds, with different habits, different experiences? How do we do that? Can I tell you that? We do that empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. To where we commit to one another, and it may not be a warm, fuzzy feeling. As a matter of fact, sometimes you've got to rein your feelings under control and say, I can't do this based on my feelings. I'm going to tell my feelings, shut up. And I'm going to make a decision based upon the promise of God that we can, in honor, prefer one another. That I can care for someone who I find personally irritating to the point that God changes my heart toward them. And God helps me to be able to forbear and to even go beyond forbearance, to bearing one another's burdens, to opening my heart to people who are so different from me that I never thought that I could do this. As a matter of fact, you would not be able to do this apart from the power of God working in your life. And I will tell you that it begins as you pray for one another. You commit to the fellowship. You submit to the, and be devoted to the teaching of the Word of God. And then you spend time together. The next thing that he says in this passage that is strengthening is the breaking of bread. And I believe that's come over to the house and have something to eat. You know you share life together over food. 
This is one, I don't know about other parts of the country, and I don't know about other parts of the world. I know about a couple of parts of the world. But I know we get this in South Carolina. And I know we get this in Massanlock in the Philippines. You share life together when you invite somebody over to eat. When you cook and you prepare, or you even go out to a place and you make provision, and there's a place for you to sit there and, and eat and share and share experiences. It's, it's life that you share together over food. What these guys were doing is they were opening their homes. They were saying, y'all, come on over. The place is a mess. Just ignore it. Come on over. Come on over. You can, you can make the place a mess. We'll, we'll worry about that later. Just come on over. And today, when we live in a place where you're not supposed to connect too much because you don't want to be transmitting a disease. I didn't say that, right? You don't want to be a conduit by which people get sick. There are still ways that you can connect with people intentionally and even do it over food. And that's what this was symbolizing to them. The sharing of life. And then prayer. How do you forbear and deal with and have God change your heart again, uh, with someone that you're struggling with interpersonally? Begin to pray for them. Begin to pray for them regularly and consistently and passionately. And pray for one another as a people. And let me tell you, I don't mean... I'm trying to think if I should name somebody or not name somebody. Stephen Pierce has had to walk out of the room, so I'm going to pick on him while he's not here. Lord bless Stephen. Help him have a good day. Amen. Is that praying for Stephen? Have I connected with God on any meaningful level? Bringing in the Word of God and God's will for Stephen's life? Do you understand what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be so much better to approach the throne of grace and say, God, I want to lift up to you today. Stephen, I love him. I thank you for the family that you've given to him, the responsibilities that you've given to him. And I pray today that you will make his path straight. I pray today that when the tempter comes, that you will make a way of escape that he may be able to bear it. I pray today that when he has those times where his patience is running thin, that you will give him the strength to be patient and endure the things that he has to endure. I pray, Father, that today you will fill his heart with joy. And as he goes through whatever he has to face on this day, that you'll give him those divine appointments and those opportunities for participation. And that he will come to the end of the day celebrating the goodness of God in his heart. Isn't that a better prayer? Will you pray that for me? Every day? That's how we're to pray for one another. Now, again, you can be like David. And this is not the sermon. This is an aside. But you can be like David and say, Lord, this person's an enemy. And I don't know what to do with my enemies. As a matter of fact, it is my desire that you crush my enemies. I'd like to see their blood in the street. Now, I hope that's not the case. But you ought to read some of those imprecatory psalms of David. They say, he says, they're not only my enemies, they're your enemies, and you need to deal with them as though they were your enemies. But you know where he always comes back to? But Father, what you do to them, and what you do in them, and what you do with them, that's all up to you. I surrender my enemies to you. As a matter of fact, we see that expanded in the New Testament where Jesus says, don't hate one another. You talk about murder? Listen, if you hate someone, you've got murder in your heart. You can trust God to execute justice. What you need to be doing is asking God to bring your heart to the place, this is Romans chapter 12, where you can live at peace with all men, whether they're your enemies or not. And if they can do that between us and the world, we ought to be able to do it in the body of Christ. Amen? Isn't this good? The kind of love that God instills, the strength that God gives you in dependence to His Word, and the strength that God gives you in the unity of the body of Christ. But there's more than that. There's also mutual concern. It's always better to travel as a traveling companion when you care about the people that are with you, when you care for the people that are with you, when you take care of the people. I'm going to go really fast here. (laughs) So listen quickly. Often when we travel, and I remember always with the kids, they had a buddy system. No one goes off on their own. We don't want to lose anybody. We don't want anybody hurt or damaged. And so you have mutual concern. You care for one another. They did in this passage of Scripture. They did when they...
cared for one, what, their expression of caring for what, one another is found in verse 44. All who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were even selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so, mutual concern gives us security. We demonstrate biblical mutual concern when we are willing to go the extra mile. New Testament, Matthew, when we are willing to stay the extra hour, invest our time in the lives of other people, when we are willing to give the extra dollar, when we don't hold so tight to our possessions, but we allow God to use these resources for His glory. God is so good when we reflect His character in generosity and care and lay down our lives for each other as He laid down His life for us. That, that he brings to reality the truth. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it's blessed to receive. Can I get an amen? That's a pretty much a slam dunk. But you know it's more blessed to give. You know that the reward you get when you're giving, not, not only from the inward peace and the joy, but from the reward that is laid up in heaven in store for you against that day, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We have been, my family and I have been on the, and continue to be on the receiving end of this. There have been times when our needs was great and God sent His people to meet it. It's been everything from throughout our lives, from clothes to cars, to a listening ear, to a card of encouragement, a phone call when it was necessary, a visit. Early on, we had people who loved our kids and cared for them and would help us watch our kids and raise our kids. I walked out of the house one day when we lived in Texas to find my neighbor fixing the brakes on my truck because he knew they needed fixing and he just stopped to fix them. We've had people be kind to us in ways you would not believe and we can tell you testimony after testimony over how God has used people in meaningful ways in our lives. People who just loved us and cared for us. And I have to tell you that that gives me, that gives us a great sense of security. To know that I'm part of something that's bigger than me. To know that there are times when I am on the receiving end. And there are also times when I am on the giving end. We also continue to be increasingly, I hope, on the giving end of this. Seeing needs and taking steps to meet those needs. And we find unfailingly that what God has said is true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In Thessalonians, Paul shares his heart in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He was there with them, had been there with them. He's left, he's writing back. And so he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we loved you. We wanted to be with you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Here's the deal of being part of the family of God. We share ourselves with one another. We share our lives, our thoughts, the word of God in us and through us. We connect with one another meaningfully. Just hop down a couple of verses. He describes his experience there. Verse 11. You know how like a father with his children, we exhorted you, we preached to you, we preached at you, we encouraged you, we beseeched you, we begged you. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we are to live our lives in fellowship with one another. That's where security, that is a source of security. Our ultimate security comes in God's sufficiency, but it comes in the relationships that we have. Now, have you ever been on a trip with someone who really didn't want to be there? Have you ever, have you ever been on a trip with someone who didn't want to participate in anything you wanted to do? Now, I don't remember this, honestly, and Suzanne can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember our kids ever being like this. Our kids were always gung-ho, as far as I know. I don't, I don't ever remember us going on the trip and the kids saying, I don't, you know, the sullen teenager, you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Um, let's go to the beach. I don't like the beach. It's got sand on it. It's got sun. I'll get sunburned. Right, let's go eat. I don't like food anymore. I won't go. Or let's go play a game. Ugh, I don't play games. Or frisbee. <laughs> no. And they refuse to participate. There's no joy in the journey. And sometimes if you're not careful, they'll steal your joy through their lack of participation. 
Well, this was not the case in Jerusalem. Verse 46 picks up and says, Day by day, attending the temple. Day by day, get that now. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That kind of active participation, that kind of active participation, highly committed participants, those who are really involved, that brings joy. That brings joy. Active participation brings joy. And so that's the third point on your outline. Casual members of churches never get to this level of fulfillment. There are people all over, all over, who will go into a church service, kind of sit toward the back or at least over to the side or the corner where they don't have to interact with too many people. When the service is open, they kind of pull their mask up and put their head down, head toward the door. And their goal is to get to the parking lot because there's the next thing to do and there's somewhere else they want to be. And churches simply come in, sit, enjoy the music and, and, and learn a lesson and then leave without being connected to the life of the body. Casual members never get to experience the joy that God intends for the people of God. Let me tell you something really quick. This is real important. You are the body of Christ. You are uniquely shaped and formed and gifted and provided with all you need to be who you are. Now, you aren't perfect. Big surprise. None of us are. But let me tell you what you are. You are a child of God, indwelled by the Spirit of God, empowered by the strength of God. You have all of the resources of God at your disposal. And you are unique you bring something to this body that nobody else brings i love it when we're sitting around the table and people are engaged on a topic and they disagree and they have different viewpoints i love it most of the time sometimes i don't like it at all let's be honest when they don't agree with me i'd rather straighten all that out but I love it when we have different perspectives. You can do this, or we can do that, or you need to look at it from this way. We bring different gifts and talents and perspectives <coughs> to the table as the body of Christ. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 12 says, And now he hath put the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleases him. And Paul's example there is the example of the body, an eye, an ear, a hand, or a foot, that we all have a unique role and a unique place in the congregation 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 18. And, listen to me, you are essential to the health of a body. You are essential to the health of a body. Can a body function when it's not completely healthy? Do I have a witness? Can a body function when it's not completely healthy? Most of us have had something go wrong at some time. I came back from a mission trip to India several years ago, and not having anything to do with that, just to set the time frame. When I came back, I got Bell's palsy. You guys know what Bell's palsy is? The left side of my face, some of the nerves disconnected or went to sleep or whatever they do, got inflamed. And the side of my face drooped as though I had had a stroke. Have you guys, are you a little bit familiar with that? Was I able to function? Many of you were, I was pastor of this church. Some of you guys remember that. I remember that I could not do a sermon that alliterated the points with a P because I couldn't pronounce a P while I had Bell's palsy. All right. And so I was able to function. Was it good? Was it healthy? Was it as it should be, as intended and as designed? No. I have a very good friend who was raised with polio. Well, I got polio as a child and he wears a straight leg brace and he's strong as an ox. He's a good guy. I love him. We went to school together and we have spent time together. Great guy. Was he able to function? Absolutely. Nothing ever slowed him down. Was he healthy, as healthy as his body was designed and intended to be? No. Why? You are essential to the health of the body of Christ. You! You! This is not something they're supposed to take care of. This is not something somebody else can do. This is not something that, that well, you know, not my job, not my duty, not my responsibility, and I back away. God intends for you to be actively participating in His body. And he's got a ministry for you to participate in. I don't know what it is. There are many ministries currently going on, but there are many more coming in the future ways for this body to connect with our community, 
to proclaim the gospel and to demonstrate the love of Christ. And there are roles to be filled and you're essential to the healthy functioning of the body. And let me tell you what happens. When you are inconvenienced, when you have to get up early and come and load out, when you have to set up and tear down, when you have to prepare a lesson and teach a lesson, when you get the joy of taking care of kids, when you teach and instruct, when you, when you are inconvenienced to invest your life in the lives of other people, the end result of that for you is joy and a sense of fulfillment and completion and the expression of the power of God displayed in your life. Isn't that great? Active participation is one of the sources of joy in the life of the body. Many people think they don't need me. They don't need me over there. This is wrong. Somebody in this church needs to be strengthened by you. Somebody needs you to speak a word to them. They'll listen to you maybe when they wouldn't listen to anybody else. Somebody in this church needs you to care for them. They have a need, maybe physical, maybe financial, maybe material that you can meet. Somebody in your network needs you to care enough for them that you speak the gospel to them. Somebody, some ministry of this church needs you, even if you think it's not your thing. And you have to go through several things to get to the thing that is your thing. Active participation matters for your health and for the health of this body. One quick example, and we'll get to the end of this. I'm sorry I went longer than I intended. Years ago, we had a homebound member who I visited at the place where she was staying. And she said, I feel so useless. I don't know what to do. I just feel so useless. And she was depressed and struggling. And so we talked about it and we prayed about it. And Ted, at that time, was on staff at our church. He had prepared a prayer notebook that we disseminated to the members of the church. And so I went to her and I carried this notebook. And I said, here are specific needs that you can pray for this week. And if you can't do anything else or you don't feel useful in any other way, there's nothing more important than talking to God and praying His will over these items. And she kept that notebook and she prayed down that list. And she would call me and say, so I've been praying for this. I need to update what's going on. I haven't heard. And if I didn't get a list of her, or our secretary didn't get a list of her at the beginning of the next week, we got a call. Hey, where's my list? I need to know who I'm supposed to be praying for this week. And all of a sudden, this person who felt useless in the body of Christ became one of our greatest prayer warriors. Behind the scenes, very few people even knew. But her ministry, her task, was to be praying for the body of Christ. And her participation, at the level that she could participate, brought her great joy. When she died, I did her funeral. When she died, her Bible and her prayer notebook were right by her bed. You're essential to the health of this church. And why does that matter? Because the church is God's plan for bringing glory to Himself and reaching the world with the gospel. And let me tell you something, folks. If I didn't believe this, I wouldn't be here. This church is God's plan for introducing people to the Lord Jesus Christ and for helping people to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not so you can have your best life now, but so you can have eternal life in heaven with God and experience what it means to be strengthened in the body of Christ today, to be secure because of mutual concern, and to be joyful because you're actively participating in the work of God on earth through this church. Isn't God good? Can you tell I'm excited about all this stuff? I believe in this. I believe God's got a great plan for us. And Jill, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to change how we close the service. Okay? So I'll go ahead and apologize. But here's how I want us to close. I want us to close a little bit differently today. I went longer than I intended to, and I want us to just have a word of prayer, and we'll close. But here's how I want us to pray. I'm not going to lead it. I will lead us in the closing prayer. But I want us to take just a couple of minutes, and I want you to pray with somebody around you. I want... You to be in groups of one, two. You can't be in a group of one. Groups of two, three, four, and just pray, pray 
for someone around you. Pray for God's will to be done in their life. Pray for God to be glorified in them. And after just a, a couple of minutes of you praying for one another, then I will lead us in a closing prayer and we'll be dismissed, okay? So group and pray. Do that now, please. Go ahead and find somebody, move. It's okay to get up and walk around. Father, it is a great privilege to come together as a family of faith and to be able to approach your throne of grace on behalf of one another. I thank you for this body. I thank you for these friends, these uh, people that you've brought together in a covenant relationship to seek after you and to seek your glory and to seek your will done in our lives. And I pray that you will strengthen us. I pray that we will find strength as we devote ourselves to your word, as we devote ourselves to mutual concern in, in which we find security as we devote ourselves to participation in which we are stretched and pulled and, and we find joy. I pray most of all, Father, that you are glorified in us. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today, guys. You are dismissed.